0: Father in heaven, tonight as we talk about faith, I pray that you would stir our hearts. I pray that you would draw close to us. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the truth that you have for us. And sometimes, Lord, the truth is cutting. It's cutting like a knife. But I pray tonight that if you cut, you will bring healing as well. That you may tear us down so that you may build us up. And I ask tonight that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would convict our hearts, that you would change our hearts, and you would cause us to put our complete trust and faith in you. So we look to you tonight, Father, and we ask your special blessing. And we just come, Lord, in Jesus' name, let everyone say, amen. Amen. I want to begin by telling you a story. And I was going to tell you a story about Lauren. I just put this slide on just a few minutes ago, but I changed my mind. I'm going to tell you about Lauren tomorrow night. But tonight I want to tell you about Andrew. And Andrew, not this Andrew that was up here with me, a different Andrew, uh, but Andrew was a young man that I met who uh, came to an evangelistic series of mine. And Andrew was an atheist. And Andrew had no interest in the Bible whatsoever, but he had nothing to do, so he thought he would come to my evangelistic meetings. As I was preaching the Bible night by night, this young man became very convicted about the truth that he was learning. He saw that there was concrete evidence for the faithfulness and the truthfulness and the validity of the Bible, and he uh, began to uh, open his heart up to God for the first time in his life. And he decided as the night by night passed, that he was going to give his heart to God and he was going to follow the truth that he found in the Scripture. And his, uh, his initial reaction was so full of joy and so he went to his parents who were, who were uh, of another faith, they were, not, uh, they were not Adventists, and he talked to his parents about the decision that he had made. When he told them that he was going to follow the Bible and its truth, they said to him, If you follow this faith and you abandon the faith of your family, we are no longer your family. We are no longer your parents. And we will kick you out of our house. We will not claim you as our son anymore. And if you try to come back to the house, we will kill you. And they were serious. This was in another country. And so he knew that he had a decision to make. And so he went to his workplace. And he told his workplace, about the decision he had made and he requested to be off from work on the sabbath and they said sure you can have off every sabbath but you're not going to work here they said if you decide to do this we're going to fire you because we have 10 people that would like to have your job and they'll work whenever we tell them to work he went to his friends and he said, Look, I found a new hope. I've now I found a new faith. I've found something that has turned my world upside down and it's and it's renewed my heart. And it gives me the great joy and peace that I that I've always wanted in life that nothing else could satisfy. And they said, Man, you must be crazy. You're joining some kind of a cult. They said, We don't want to be around you anymore. So, all within a matter of weeks, this young man was losing his family. He was losing his job, and he was losing his friends to find to follow a Christ that had set him free in every way he had always been hoping and looking for. And at the end of that series, I could tell you the full story, and it's really miraculous. But he found himself in a situation where his health was bad and he he went to the hospital and they actually locked him in the hospital because they said, You can't leave because you could die at any minute. They said the surgeon's not going to be here until next week, so you need to stay right here. And so on the day of his baptism, he actually climbed out of the hospital from the second story, and he climbed down out of the window and he slid down the, the gutter or whatever it was and he came to be baptized. And it made me ask the question, what would cause, or why would a young man in his 20s, his early 20s, give up everything that he had in his life to follow Christ and to follow a faith called the Seventh-day Adventist faith? What would cause him to give up all these things to follow that when so many young people in North America who were raised in this faith are doing everything they can to get away from it. Why would he be giving up everything to run towards it when everyone here that I, many, not everyone, but many that I know here are are, are giving up everything to try to get away from it? And that really puzzled me. And I thought to myself, why is that the case? There are so many young people I know that have been out there in the world who are trying? Who are knocking down the doors of the church to get in and there are those who are often raised in the church who are knocking down the doors of the church to get out it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me and the answer that I came up with is this somehow we have forgotten the simplicity of biblical faith as an Adventist people and we need to have a return to a simple, fundamental, biblical faith. I know the word fundamental is taboo in this day and age, but really the word fundamental, all it means is somebody who really believes in the Bible and and takes the word for what it says. Somebody who actually believes what the book says and doesn't think it's a bunch of fairy tales. And I think there are lots of tithe-paying, church-attending, Sabbath-keeping Adventists who think it's all a fairy tale. The Bible tells us that this day would come. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I believe today that we have made Adventism very complicated and very complex, when in reality it's very simple. I believe that we've made faith very complicated, when in reality, it's very simple. And you know, we're always, as a church, trying to, to, to quote-unquote, get new lights. You've heard that phrase before. We want to have new light. And, and, and we'll go to GYCs, and we'll go to other youth and, and young adult conferences, and we're always wanting to hear somebody tell us something new. We're always wanting somebody to kind of tickle our ear and and give us some sort of cool thing that we haven't heard before. But the reality is, we're getting our ears tickled, and we're hearing all kinds of things that these speakers will tell us, and yet inside our faith is dead. We are like Jesus described the Pharisees, we're often like whitewashed tombs, and we are full of dead men's bones. And we become seminar junkies. And we sit and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon. And our hearts are absolutely unchanged. Our hearts are growing harder, in fact, with every sermon. Because we are not living those things. And before God shows us anything new, we must bring into practice and experience what we already know in theory. And the evidence that we don't know this message as well as we should is that we are still the people we shouldn't be while talking about the people that we should be. How many of you believe that to be true? We sit around and we talk about it. And we think about it. Sometimes we talk about the people that we should be so much that we just give up on it because we think it can never be accomplished. We think that it can never be a reality in our lives. We think it can never happen to us. But I want to tell you today, the Word of God says something different. The Adventist pioneers, most or many of the Adventist pioneers were either the same age as you or younger. Some of them were younger than you. Some of them were 16 and 17 years old. And they were standing up and they were proclaiming the truth to people who had been in a church for 40 or 50 years in other Christian denominations. Many of them went forward by faith and they were studying the Bible and God began to reveal to them powerful truth that was begun to transform their lives. Where is the spirit of the Adventist pioneers today? It was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old people up into their upper 20s. Somebody that was 25 was considered to be a veteran. They were considered to be, you know, like the old man of the group or the old woman of the group. And these are the people that found and formed our church. And today, many Adventist young people could not even give you five texts on the Sabbath. We don't know our Bibles. We don't know what the church even believes. I guarantee you, if you put the 28 fundamental beliefs up next to uh, the b- basic beliefs of some other denomination, and you ask young people today to, 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 to pick which one was the Adventist one, I'll bet many of us could not e- would not even know which one was which. And I'm not trying to say this to be nasty, but it's the reality and somebody's got to say it. We don't study our Bibles. We read books about the Bible We read little one page devotionals. We talk about the Bible. We hear the pastor preach about the Bible. But we don't study the Bible ourselves the way that we should. The Bible ought to be a book that you study more than any other book because it's the only book that will set you free. So, we're going to talk tonight about the Word of God and about the Bible. And I'm just going to give you a very fundamental, basic sermon. And we're going to talk tonight a little bit about the power that the Word of God has to set us free. And so we're going to ask the question now, what kind of power does the Word of God actually have? Well, I want you to go in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to quickly read this and then we're going to jump right over to the Psalms. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that's a profound statement God did not create the heaven and the earth through the process of evolution because evolution is a chaotic process and nothing organized can come out of chaos I don't know any time in history that something organized and thoughtful came out of something unorganized and chaotic can anyone name anything if you go blow up a print shop When the smoke settles, you're not going to find a brand new set of encyclopedias sitting there waiting to be read. If you take a bunch of pieces of scrap metal and you put them in a bucket, you can shake them up, for the next 3 billion years, and you can shake them every kind of way imaginable, you can heat them up, you can melt them down, you can do all kinds of stuff to them, and no matter how much time passes from those pieces of metal in that bucket, there will never come a time when you pull out a MacBook Pro out of that bucket. Everything that is organized comes from some sort of design and thoughtful process. Are you with me? So when the Bible says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it very simply and clearly means that there is an intelligent being that created. There is an in- and because some people say, well, where is the evidence for God? I say the greatest evidence for God is you. Because your mind is much more advanced than that MacBook computer. In fact, some human mind created this thing. And it can do all kinds of incredible stuff. But your mind actually designed it. And somebody designed your mind. Your mind is not a random uh, chance thing. It's not a bunch of chemicals coming together and getting struck by lightning. It is not any form of random process. It was thought through. It was intelligently designed. You were created in the image of God. Can somebody say amen tonight? And the Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be what? Light, and there was light. So the Word of God has what kind of power? I'm looking for a specific word that starts with a C creative power. What kind of power does the Word of God have? Creative. The Word of God has such power that it has the ability to create something from nothing even when it is simply spoken. Are you with me? Yes or no? So we're going to come back to that here in just a minute. Go with me to Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33, and you probably know this verse as well, but that's all right. We're just doing a good old-fashioned Bible study tonight. I like to hear the pages turn, or I like to hear the fingers scrolling down, looking it up on your phones. I don't know if you can hear that or not, but it's nice to see it. Psalm 33, verse 6, says this, "...by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them. By the breath of His mouth, He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord." Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Not fearing Him as in trembling, but but look at the glory of the Lord. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. We ought to stand in awe of God. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made even after thousands of years of sin breaking down the world, causing it to begin to crumble and buckle and do all the crazy things that it's doing with hurricanes and tsunamis and all this stuff, even after thousands of years, you can still look and see the beauty of God's creation. And you look into the center of a tulip and you say there's not any chance in hell, if you want to say it just that that broadly, that that thing came about by chance. It has to have been designed. The beautiful symmetry, the perfection that is in a flower that has existed in 6,000 years worth of sin is beyond comprehension. There is no way. And the Bible says, stand in awe of God because He has the power to create by His Word. So the Word of God has infinite power. Creative power. What kind of power does it have? It has infinite and it has creative power. When God created the world, there was no material present to create with. He created from nothing. And when man creates, he uses what God has already created. Do you understand that, yes or no? God, let me just explain this. If I were to say to you, here's a podium right here. Do you believe that there's a podium right here? Why? Because you see it, correct? Now if I come over here and I say, here's a podium, is there a podium there, yes or no? No. Is there any way that I can create a podium right there, yes or no? I could, but can I do it with my words? No. And yet when God says, here's a podium, if God said, right here's a podium, is there a podium there? Yes. But if God points right here and says, there's a podium, then even though there was no podium, now there will be a what? Podium because God's Word is what everyone? What is it? It's creative. And it doesn't matter if it's a podium or a world or a person. When God speaks the word that he speaks has power to create and because of that we ought to give our worship and our homage to him we ought to let nothing in our lives become more important than the honor and the allegiance that i give to the christ that created all things yes or no now the word of god the bible teaches is also self-fulfilling it has in the very moment that it is spoken the power to accomplish what it says if i tell you i'm going to come over and do something for you tomorrow i have to actually do that action for it to take place are you with me but when god speaks it is self-fulfilling and it has within itself the power to do what it says how do you think that's just an incredible thought tonight yeah the word of man has no creative power to accomplish what it says. Your word can't accomplish a single thing. Are you with me? But God's word has the power to do everything that it says. So when God created the world, He didn't just, he didn't just speak and the world existed, but the Bible teaches that the world exists and it is sustained by the power of His word as well. So when God speaks something into existence, it doesn't just become a a reality for that moment, it becomes a a reality for how long? For eternity. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So I want you to keep that in mind because it's going to be important very, uh, uh, just in a little bit. Therefore, the power of God is in His Word. Where is it? In His Word, not in us. Now a question for you. Is the written Word of God any less potent or powerful than the spoken Word of God, yes or no? Not at all. The power that is in this Word right here that you hold in your hands is just as powerful as when God was speaking the world into existence. Do you follow that line of thinking? Do you understand that? It's very important. We're going to a certain place. Uh, I'm going to say... Well, I'm not going to skip this. Let me just read this. From Christian Education, page 118, it says, The Bible is the only rule of faith and doctrine, and there is nothing more calculated to energize the mind and strengthen the intellect than the study of the Word of God. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the faculties as the broad and truths of the Bible. If God's Word were studied as it should be, men and women would have a breadth of mind a nobility of character and a stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times do you do you struggle with your thoughts do you struggle with the who you are as a person the character that you display to others are you finding yourself being tossed back and forth not sure what your purpose or your identity is if you struggle with those things i would ask you the question how is your devotional life? What are you spending your time on each day? Are you reading books about the Bible or are you reading the Bible itself? Are you reading books that are contrary to the Bible? Are you spending your time on things that are not going to elevate that mindset that Christ wants to have in you? So what is faith built upon? Well, very simply, Romans ten seventeen: faith comes by hearing and hearing by the watch. By the Word of God. Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So true biblical faith is built upon what, everybody? Word of God. So why is it that we don't spend the time in it that we should and then complain because we don't sense God close to us? If you want to be close to God and you want God to be close to you, then you have to do what the book says to do to draw close. You have to actually take some time to open the book and read it. And not just read it, but study it. Get off the video games. Get off Facebook and go to the faith book. Tell your friends, no, I can't go out with you tonight. I've got something more important to do. In fact, you can come and join me if you'd like. We're going to gather together, and I'm going to study the Bible, and we're going to find our way in this world. What is faith? Go with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. Romans 4 and verse 16. I'm going to start here in verse... um, Let me just start here in verse... uh, We'll start in verse 19, just for sake of time. He's talking here about Abraham. And Abraham, when he's talking about him here, Abraham was nearly 100 years old. And he was preparing to give, uh, to, to, um, to have Isaac, who was the son of promise. And I want you to notice this. Verse 19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, although already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, who was 90-something years old. And notice what it says. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And notice verse 21. And being fully convinced that what He, being God, had promised, He was also able to perform that text is a life-changing text. Let's read it one more time. Being fully convinced that what God had promised, He was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to Him for what? For righteousness. Verse 23, Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but also for who? For us, and who is us? Us is you. Yes or no? But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Very simply, that biblical faith is expecting And depending on the Word of God to do what it says, despite any circumstances in our lives that would attempt to hinder it. Abraham was an old man. There was no way on God's green earth that naturally speaking, he and Sarah could have a child yet when he was a very young man and it was still possible for him to have that child god made a promise to him and he said you're going to have this child he's going to be the son of promise abraham waited all his life and he was almost a hundred years old and he still believed and trusted that god would perform what he promised that he would do that is what biblical faith is and let me tell you something today This generation, and I'm including myself, we often don't have faith in God's promises because number one, we don't even know what the promises are. We haven't studied the Word of God to discover what the promises are. We haven't claimed those promises. And we let the circumstances in our lives determine if we're going to believe or not. And God is speaking to us here today. And he's saying, here was a man who had an absolute impossibility in his life. There was no way that naturally he could have this child. And yet, did God perform what he said he would do, yes or no? He performed it. And dear brothers and sisters today, God has some precious promises for you that he wants to fulfill. But you've got to know what they are. You've got to believe them by faith. You've got to believe despite the odds that will be against you and God fulfilling those promises in you. True biblical faith is not just simply believing the Word of God because God's Word is true whether we believe it or not. Are you with me? Whether you ever believe fully that the Word of God is true doesn't hinder its truthfulness. It will be true to the day Jesus comes, yes or no? It will be true. Now, I'm going, to, um, I'm going to skip past this. I already read these texts. But faith is the connecting piece that allows God's Word, don't miss this, not just to be true, but also to be true in who, friends? To be true in us. You see, God's Word, the purpose of this written Word is not just for it to be true. We have no trouble whatsoever, for most of us, believing that when God spoke thousands of years ago and He created the world as we know it today, we have no trouble believing that God did that. How many of you would agree with that statement? As Seventh-day Adventists, God created the world and we believe that. It's one of our fundamental beliefs but today in 2018, we often struggle with the concept that God's Word can actually become true in me. Why do I know that? Because we struggle and we wrestle and we, we are overcome constantly by sin, wondering why God is allowing us to get into, into those things and fall into those things when we ourselves will refuse to acknowledge the truth that can set us free from those things. We neglect it. We put it aside. And, and I'm afraid that in Adventism today, <clears throat> the Bible has become just a book on the shelf that we kind of look at every once in a while and we say, oh, that's the Word of God there. I believe it's true. It's the Bible, but, you know, but we, don't, we don't open it up because it's too sacred. We, don't, we won't understand it. We don't really know what it says, so we'll just keep it there kind of as a little good luck charm. And it just sits on the shelf. And it never becomes a reality in our lives. And God says, I don't need you to prove that my word is true. My word is true. God knows that. The angels of heaven know it. Even Satan knows it. But God says, I want my word to become true in you. And the only way that it will become true in you is if you lay hold of what He has said and you believe it to the saving of your soul. So much so that anything else in your life becomes secondary. It's not just believing the Word of God is true, but surrendering the heart and the life completely to its truth so that the Word can do a work within us that we cannot do for ourselves. You cannot change your heart. You cannot put your affections upon God. You cannot transform your life. You cannot cease from your bad habits. You cannot keep the commandments of God. You can't do it. But if you will trust in the Word, and you will put your faith in the Word, and you will study the Word, and you will believe it above all other things, and you will challenge God to fulfill the Word of his, of his truth inside your life, then He will accomplish it. And the evidence is there by an old man of a hundred years old who had the Word of promise from God and he believed it and God eventually accomplished it in your life. So biblical faith, is belief in and surrender to the power of the Word of God to do what it says where in us. And our faith will be the determining factor. But we must also have faith in what God's Word says it will do, but not just that, but also in what the Word says that we cannot do. I mentioned this, you cannot change your heart you cannot try harder and expect to get it. You must surrender and allow the power of God to work in your heart to do it through you. That doesn't mean that you don't do anything, but that means that you align yourselves with the Word and the will of God. And He will begin to accomplish in you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm running out of time here quickly, but let's, uh, let's go to 2 Peter. Let's ask the question, what is the purpose of faith in the Word of God. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse... We're going to start in verse uh, 2 here. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And his, as His divine power has given us To us, all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. And notice verse 4 by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious what? Promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. My friends, what is the purpose of the Word of God? What is its ultimate purpose? It is for you to become like Christ in character. In fact, that's how God originally created us to be. And when we chose to sin, we lost that character. But the Gospel... Is to restore into it's first to 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 cleanse us and to rid us of those things which cause us to fall away from the character of God. But then the purpose of the gospel is to actually restore in us the character of Christ that was lost. That is a beautiful, powerful concept that Jesus wants you to be like Him. And He said, Look, I'm giving you these precious promises that will allow you to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, and then also partake of the divine nature. I mean, what a concept! That the God of heaven has created you to be like Him. And to reflect Him. And there's nothing more beautiful than the true character of God. And so God wants you to be beautiful. Amen? He wants you to live the way He's always created you to live. If there's a guy that creates a car, you know, there's car manufacturers, and with that car comes an owner's manual, yes or no? And in that owner's manual, it tells you how to treat that car so that it will operate at the optimum performance. Correct? In that manual, it will tell you you need to put gas in the gas tank and oil in the motor, correct? And it will even tell you what type of gas to put in so that way it will operate at the optimum level, correct? Now if you decide and you, have, if you pay $50,000 for a car, you have the right to put whatever in all the world you want to put in that gas tank, you understand? And if you say, you know what, I know that the owner's manual says that I should put gas in the gas tank and oil in the motor, but you know what, that's just not what I want to do. I feel like I want to do something else. And so I'm going to put milk in the gas tank, or water, take your pick, and I'm going to put orange juice in the motor where the oil goes, because that's what I want to do. And all your friends and all society around you says, yeah, 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 you should do that. Be your own man. Be who you want to be. Decide for yourself what you're going to do. You have the freedom to do whatever you want. Do it. Do it. And you say, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm putting the water in. And then I go over to the front of the car and I pour the orange juice in. I say, I did what I want to do. Now I'm going to drive my $50,000 car. And I get in there and I crank the motor. You think it's going to crank? Oh, it might. It might crank because it already had probably some amount of gas and oil in it. You might get yourself a half a mile down the road. But before too long, what's going to happen? That thing's going to shut down and it's going to shut down quick, hard, and fast. And yeah, boy, you did what you wanted to do. But now you're sitting on the side of the road at the mercy of the mechanic who's going to come and tow you to the garage and he's going to pay a lot of money, thousands of dollars to fix that car. My friend just told me the other day, he said a pastor, there was one of the, a pastor that he knew, his dad was very rich and he bought him a BMW to drive. And he said when the transmission went out he took it to the shop and because it was a BMW it was going to cost $4,000. I didn't even pay $4,000 for my car. They wanted $4,000 for a transmission. You understand what I'm saying. And look, the Bible tells us that the power is there to set you free. But you have to decide for yourself what you're going to do. And if you decide To to run your own life and do whatever you decide to do, God says you have the right to do that because I paid the price to set you free. I've already died, I shed my blood, I allowed pagans and Gentiles to drive nails through my hands and nails through my feet and put a crown on my head and beat me to a bloody pulp and tie me and pin me to a cross. And I was separated from my Father. For the first time in history of eternity and for the last time in the history of of humanity and eternity, divinity died. And he said, I didn't do that to make you feel guilty about your choices. I didn't do that to to manufacture some form of manipulation to say, well, because I did this for you, you should do this for me. That's not why God did it. He said, I did it because that was the price to pay to bring you back to zero. You were in slavery to your sins. And I brought you back to zero. But now you have to choose. Are you going to give your life to me? Or are you going to give your life back to the one who was beating you down and keeping you in slavery? And he says, I paid the price to give you a choice. And he says, you have the freedom to choose what you want to do. But just remember that nobody will ever love you the way that I love you. And I've given you a choice to make. I've given you an opportunity to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And I've given you a very simple, systematic way to do it. And it will only be accomplished if you will yield to me because God is not interested in being a control freak. He's interested and given you what you need to be free from that life of slavery. Are you with me, yes or no? And he says, you have a right, you have a privilege to choose whatever you want. But I'm pleading with you. Why would you go back to what was destroying you? Why would you choose that which you already know is destroying your life? Why not choose a better way? The purpose of the faith, of faith in the Word of God, is to transform our carnal, fleshly character into the divine character of God. And by laying a hold of the divine promises of God by faith, we can also lay hold of the divine character of God in reality. How do we know it's possible? Because the word of God tells us and the word of God doesn't. If it lies, throw the whole thing out and become an atheist. And don't, just don't be a hypocrite, you understand. I want to come to the end of this thing and I want to say this. It's possible to be a strict vegan and act like an animal. And it's possible to eat very clean and act like a pig. What I'm not saying is that I'm not saying that God doesn't care about what you eat because He does. But what I am saying is you can have everything right on the outside and you can be as dead as a corpse on the inside. You want to know why this generation, why so many young people today are so obsessed with zombies? I mean, some of us laugh, and, but, it, but it's the reality. The Walking Dead, all these movies and all these TV programs that are out, vampires. Vampires are just like sophisticated zombies. That's what they are. Why is it that people are so obsessed with zombies? Very simply this. Because the zombie is the living dead. And what the zombie looks like on the outside is how they feel on the inside. And they identify with that. Because that's how they feel. But God says, you don't have to feel like that. God says you can have something better. You can have life, you can have hope, and you can have purpose, but it will not happen if we live our lives as hypocrites. And some people say, well, my parents are hypocrites. They, live one, they say one thing and they do another. They live one way at church and another way at home. And therefore, I don't have to, I, I, I'm just going to, I don't believe in God because of that. Well, if, if you've seen them act that way, then it's beautiful because now you have a perfect example of how not to live. Therefore, you're left without an excuse. And if you leave the faith and you leave the church because you think somebody's a hypocrite and you know that, that you must know the truth because you know enough truth to know that they're a hypocrite, Correct? Then, if you leave the church because you know the truth and you see others not living the truth, then you also become a hypocrite. And you're left without an excuse. And I want to say one thing and then we're going to close. What will be the ultimate maturity of our faith? Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of who? Jesus. As we day by day put our faith in Jesus, it will deepen and develop into the faith of Jesus. You understand that that text is prophetic because it says that God wants us to not just have faith in Jesus, but he wants us to have the faith of Jesus. The actual faith that Jesus had when he walked upon this earth. Complete surrender and complete trust to God his Father. The will and the word of God. Does that make sense to you today? And so that same faith that Jesus had is the same faith that we can have. And we can be empowered like he was to walk as he walked and as we depend and surrender to the word of God to do what it says. Now I'm going to come to the end of this. Ah, I had a lot more share but that's all right. Let's go now to the end. I want to, I want to go to one more text. And uh, I want this text to be our closing text. Isaiah chapter 55. The question is this. Can God's love preserve a man or woman and in their integrity? What do you think? Is God's love able to sustain you in everyday life, yes or no? Is it able? If, how many of you believe it's able tonight? Can the power of the Word of God sustain you in every situation and even give you victory over it, yes or no? Can it? What do you say? Do you believe that? Then if we're not having that experience, the problem is not with God, The problem is not with the church. The problem is not with the Bible. The problem is with who? It is with us. Because we have very simply had a lack of faith to believe and trust in the Word of God to do what it says in us. And let me say this very plainly. As a society, as a culture, as a church... We have become very comfortable and we have become very satisfied living a life that does not truly believe that the Word of God can do what it says in us. Are you with me, yes or no? And the Bible calls that very plainly Laodicea. It means lukewarm. And God wants us to wake up. He wants us to what? And He's calling us to wake up. So our closing text, Isaiah chapter 55. Please turn there. Don't just sit and listen to me read. Please turn there. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6. Notice what He says here. And then we're going to close. He says, Seek the Lord while He may be what? Found. Call upon Him while He is what? Near. Is Is God able to be found by you? Yes or no? He says in Jeremiah chapter 29, you will search for me and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your hearts. He's able to be found. Is He near to you? Yes or no? He's near through the Word. He's near through prayer. He's near in many ways. But the problem is not that God can't be found or that He's not near. The problem is in the next line. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. The problem is that we are blinded by sin and the only solution to that sin is to repent of it. Is to turn away from it through the power and the grace of God. And the grace and the promises of God are made available to you tonight. Jesus is the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He will take your sin away tonight. Not just on the record, but in the reality of your life. Let the wicked forsake his way the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him do what? Return to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon and sometimes we question have i gone too far have i gone so far away from god that he won't take me back have i committed one sin too many for him to forgive the guilt is overwhelming to me i have no peace but i don't know that god will will take me i'll tell you there was a time in my life not too long ago i was even in the ministry when I thought I had somehow gone too far and, my, and there was darkness all around me a, a, and, and I, my mind was clouded and for months I was in a deep, dark depression. Nobody knew it. But I was on the verge of leaving the ministry and even leaving the church. And I pled with God and I prayed and nothing would change and this, this, this dark cloud just hovered over me and I knew it was the enemy. But I just clung to whatever I could get. And I was just clinging to God, pleading God, don't leave me. And then one morning, He woke me up at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And He guided me to this verse. Let Him return to the Lord. And I realized that there was sin in my life that had not surrendered. My life was not surrendered to God. And I was far from, I was backsliding further and further away. And God said, let him return to me and I will have mercy. And it was this text that set me free. It was this text that, 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 that dispersed that cloud and allowed those rays of light to come back. And this text tonight God gives to you. Seek him. Call upon him. When Elijah was taken up into the cloud and Elisha came behind him, he took that robe and he popped the water and he said, Where's the God of Elijah? Call upon God today. Seek him. Forsake the ways that you know have led you away from him and return to him. He'll have mercy. You think God won't take you back, He says there, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Come to me and you'll find mercy. Tonight God invites you to come back to Him. And you have a card and we're out of time, but I'm well known for going over time. But I'd like you to take that card if you're so inclined. I'd like to invite you to make a decision to follow Jesus tonight. And I'm quite sure that at least one of these are going to apply to one of you, all of you. Number one, there's a card in the pew in front of you. If you would just take one and pass it down to whoever may be sitting there. It says, I want to repent of my sins and surrender my life to Jesus. This doesn't have to be for the first time. It can be for the thousandth time. I once followed Jesus, but have drifted away. Now I want to commit, recommit my life to him. I need special prayer to make my commitment. Maybe you need prayer. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. You can write that down. I'd like to express my commitment to God through baptism. I choose to be a disciple and a missionary for Christ each day and share Him with others at every opportunity. Or I choose to dedicate myself to a mission service project, whether short-term or longer, as God leads. I don't know what God is putting on your heart tonight, But what I do know is that as an Adventist people, we have departed away from the simplicity of the Word, and God is calling us to a return of fundamental, simple, biblical faith. And I'll ask you tonight, when was the last time you studied your Bible? When was the last time you spent an hour with God? When was the last time you spent a night in prayer to God? When was the last time you chose to go and spend time with God rather than going to be with your friends? And for some of you, the answer may have been just this morning. And I say praise the Lord. But for some of us, it may have been a month. It may have been a, a six or seven months. It may have been a year ago. I don't know. But God is calling you to return. Would you return tonight? If you say, Lord, I want to return to you, and maybe your relationship is good with God, but you know you need to go deeper, would you return to Him tonight? Would you come closer to Him than you've ever been before by making that choice? If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand this evening? Say, Lord, I want to make that decision for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask, Lord, tonight that you would let us return to not be stuck in Laodicea, to not be stuck in a cloud of darkness, walking towards that cliff from which we can never climb out. I pray today that our hearts would be surrendered fully to You, that we'd make our decision for You. Pray that You would draw us close to You and return us to the place where we need to be to be standing in full favor with You, to be standing at the foot of the cross with the heavens' beams of light shining upon us. This is our prayer tonight, Lord, and the decision that I pray that we'll all make in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.